0: to the t- Day, everybody, and dads especially. I hope you had a donut, maybe your favorite slice of uh, gas station pizza, or whatever guilty pleasure you have on a Sunday morning. I hope it was fulfilled. So I am I have a shirt on that says, I love you 3000. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I had a really good friend of mine make this for me, and it has handprints of my kids all over it. And then there's a little heart on my belly, and it's uh, for baby Ephraim. And if you see him, he's wearing I Love You 3000 shirt, too, so we're matching. So it's it's pretty great, right? Um, but Iron Man is my favorite superhero. And uh, the reason Iron Man is my favorite superhero, uh, that's not important. <laughs> um but uh, something in the last movie, and if you haven't seen Endgame, I'm gonna ruin it for you, okay? You'll be okay, it's, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> um, so there's this scene between Tony and his daughter, uh, Morgan, and he's putting her to bed, right? And uh, so she's in bed, and he kisses her on the forehead, and he says, I love you tons. And her reply back is, I love you 3,000. And, and Tony's response is like, wow, that's crazy. That's a lot. 3,000. And so he, he closes the door and it's good night and all that. And he walks out into the living room and he's talking to his wife, Pepper. And he's like, hey, it's not a competition or anything, but Morgan loves me 3,000. And uh, I think you were somewhere in like the 600 range, <laughs> and uh, and and when I saw that for the very first time, I was like, that hit my dad heart hard, and um, and so it is my prayer and my hope that dads that you can bask in those moments, um, and then if uh, you are a son, that you would trust that your dad has those moments. If you're a daughter, your dad has those moments. And uh, if you're not really able to see yourself in there, just know that God, your father, has those moments as he sees you. So so kiddos, give that dad an extra big hug that's here with you or that grandpa that's big here, and uh, let's pray together. God, thank you for dad's And thank you that you are our perfect dad. And so God, we pray for your blessing upon the earthly fathers here that you would give them wisdom on how to delight in the blessings you put in their life. And you would uh, give them wisdom on how to lead their families and lead their communities and lead the people around them that you have placed in their charge. God, we love you. We give you this morning and this service, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, kiddos. Good job. Thanks for your help. Get out of here wow they were really ready I must have talked too long (laughs) so if I see you guys do that after we're done then I know I really talked too long so I want to take a brief survey here. How many of you have a hobby or interest that you are passionate about? You know, uh, woodworking, maybe it's knitting, you're a gardener, you're a mechanic, something like that. Um, But the thing is, this hobby that you have, you have absolutely no interest in identifying yourself as. And you're like, well, why, why, why would I do that? Let's, let's say you're good with, with wood, but you wouldn't want to advertise yourself as a carpenter, right? Because you can get signed up for all sorts of stuff and get in trouble real fast, right? Or let's say you're pretty good at f- drywall finishing. You're going to keep that a secret because I don't care who you are. No one likes to do drywall, right? I like to cook, and I love talking about cooking, but I would never say I'm a chef, you know, and, and I play music, and, and, uh, but I would, I'm really hesitant to call myself a musician. I'm not bad, I do okay, but I would not gig myself out on the weekend <laughs> in Kansas City for that. Uh, if I would even call my, consider myself a little bit of a hack, and I think that would be a gracious uh, title in, in music for me. But I'm I'm asking this because I want you to begin to think about what, who, or whom you identify yourself as. What, who, or whom do you identify yourself as? And I want you to be thinking about that as we are talking through this today if you would with me, turn on your Bibles. Yes, I said that right. Turn on your Bibles or turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter eight, verse nine. Or you can be lazy and look up here. It works too. It's Father's Day after all. So in Romans, it says this, but you, you do not identify with your old nature, but with the spirit, provided that the spirit of God is living inside you. For anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Messiah doesn't belong to him. So, where do you place yourself as belonging? Is it a political party? Is it a social movement? A sports team, maybe? Religion? Is it a social class? What is it? Who is it? that you easily identify with and declare association or allegiance to? Now, I know I just threw a lot of questions at you, so let's try that again. I want you to think about who is it or what is it that you identify and declare your association with? Because it matters. And if you aren't thinking about that, whatever else I say is gonna go in one ear and out the other. And depending how excited I get, that might happen anyways. Hopefully I get more excited. So, the saying, birds of a feather flock together, comes to my mind when thinking about this topic. And the, the idea that people with similar interests and in like-mindedness have a tendency to stick together, right? So, it is one way to achieve unity, but homogeny is not the movement of unity that is shown in the kingdom, Homogeny is not the image of unity that we see in Revelations 5, verses 9 and 10. As you can see here, this is what that image looks like. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals because you were slaughtered. At the cost of your blood, you ransomed for God persons of every tribe, every language, every people and every nation. You made them into a kingdom for God to rule. Go hand them to serve him, and they will rule over the earth. So today, I want to talk about unity. But not just unity, I want to talk about identity. Because, personally, I find it really easy to identify with lots of things. I like to watch Marvel movies. You know, I like to play music, I like to cook. You know, things that I identify with. But usually, when I'm in those groups or I'm in those thoughts, I don't typically question what these people around me value, what they care about, what they think of, I don't question how much we truly have in common other than that the interest that I'm in at the moment. And so, and then often at times, I'll ignore or exclude someone who doesn't fit that scheme. So, Is that right as a Christian? Is that right to do? To be focused on this thing that I like to do and not care what everyone thinks and values as I identify with them? That's the question I'm asking. Is that okay to do as a Christian? Should I be focused on associating with others that have the same standards economically or social, Uh, maybe the same sports team affiliation, maybe beverage preferences, political and gender preferences? Am I really sticking to the birds of a feather? So this is what the main thought is here, that every Christian should have more in common with one another than someone who's not a Christian. Now, many of you have little red flags going off. Wait, 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 wait. How is that possible? How can I have something more in common with a Christian who I don't know anything about, who is even clear across the world, And I'm going to tell you. So, and I understand that even this might not be true for most of us, you know, and, but as a Christian, we should have more in common with Christians than people who are not Christians. So then how can I relate to someone with a different culture? You know, thinking about the other side of the world, like someone in, uh, like in Russia, or in China, uh, you know, North Korea, or how about Africa, South America, wherever you are, how can I relate to them even though they're in a completely different world than me? Well, I think we can relate to them because we're part of a global movement. The Jesus movement is the most culturally and ethnically diverse people movement in the history of the human race. I want you to look at this. This is a picture of the church of Pastor Noster. Pater Noster, that's what it is. Butchered that. (laughs) And what it does is this place is cool and it's trippy. And Josh, I'm going to get real loud real fast here. So we have each one of these little things is the Lord's Prayer written in 100 different languages. And so I, I just picture walking around this place and these marble, limestone, whatever halls just booming with people reading the Lord's Prayer out loud in different languages. How cool would that be to just hear like four, five, six, ten, twenty 10, 20 different languages of reading the same thing at the same time. What a diverse What a global movement. And it is the same prayer that Jesus taught us how to pray to connect with the Father. In the Church of Annunciation in Nazareth, there are hundreds of pictures uh, in stained glass windows and different exhibits and murals depicting Mary and Joseph, um, all done in the style that uh, fits their culture, and their popular artistic styles. So like, you know how we're probably used to seeing white Jesus and white Mary, you know? Like, and right now we kind of think that's weird because it's like, oh, we're we're typecasting them. We're, you know, we're saying that they're like us. And it's like, that's pretty normal to do that because if you go culturally around the world, you see the same thing happening. And and what's happening is is we are relating to Mary. We are relating to Joseph. We're relating to Jesus, that we're putting them alongside with us. Jesus is our friend. So how do we relate to that is that we make them like us. In 2007, a a professor named Philip Jenkins uh, had predicted that by 2025 of the two billion cr- Christians on the globe, most of them will reside in Africa and Latin America. That 's pretty crazy. We 're three years from that, so um, And then fast forward to 2050, Africa will have the most Christian population in the world. And that's significant because he says this in his uh, article called The Next Christendom. It says, as Christianity moves to the global south, Christianity is also entering a world that is a very poor world. If you want to think of the average Christian in the world today, then think perhaps of a woman living in a village in Nigeria or in a favela uh, or a shantytown in Brazil. Probably somebody who, by typical American standards, is inconceivably poor. I saw this tweet. I don't know where it came from, but it said this kind of about a lot similar topic. It says Christians could have more in common with someone who is inconceivably poor on the other side of the world and believes in Jesus than someone from their own location, economic status, and political party who does not believe in Jesus. Now, nod your head one way or the other. Does this seem like a stretch yet? Is this believable that we should have more in common with those who call themselves Christians versus maybe our next-door neighbor, our golf partner, Um, just anybody who we have one common interest in Romans 15, 8 through 13, says this. For I say that the Messiah became a servant of the Jewish people in order to show God's truthfulness by making good his promises to the patriarchs, in order to show his mercy by causing the Gentiles to glorify God. As it is written in the scriptures or the Tanakh, because of this, I will acknowledge you among the Gentiles to sing praise to your name. This word Gentile that you see there is actually, um, the word is called ethnos in Greek, and it translates to nations or human race. So I'm going to finish this out. Instead of Gentiles, I'm going to say nations in it. So, And again, it says, nations rejoice with his people. And again, praise Adonai, all nations. Let all people praise him, and again, This is uh, Yeshiyahu is uh, Isaiah. And he says, the root of Jesse will come. He will arise to rule nations. Nations will put their hope in him. May God, the source of hope, fill you completely with joy and shalom, which is peace, as you continue trusting so that the power of the Ruach Hokadesh or the Holy Spirit may overflow with hope. I love that picture of it just being the nations crying out and praising. So what we read about in Revelations, that is tying that in, and it is revealing God's cry for the nations to praise him. And, and when you read any of these epistles... What they're working at fulfilling is the great commission, right, given to them by Jesus. And 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 when they are writing these things and they're envisioning going out, what they're working to fulfill is actually shown in Isaiah 66, 18 through 21. They are working to fulfill this prophecy. So let's go there and check it out. The time is coming when I will gather together all nations all languages, and they will come and see my glory, and I will give them a sign. I will send some of their survivors to the nations of Tarshish, Pool, Lud, which are archers, Tuval, Greece, and the most distant coast. You guys remember Nineveh? Tarshish was not Nineveh, right? tail people, anybody? <laughs> One ticket to not Nineveh, please. Um, so Tarshish was the one end of the known world, right? And so they he's sending that, he's saying here in Isaiah that they're sending out people to the ends of the world to spread his name and glory. So we'll pick it up here. Where they have neither heard of my fame nor seen my glory, they will per- Claim my glory to these nations, and they will bring all your kinsmen out of all the nations as an offering to Adonai on horses and chariots and wagons, on mules, on camels, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says Adonai. Just as people of Israel themselves bring their offerings and clean vessels to the house of Adonai, I will also take Kohanim and Levi from them. That's such a cool picture to me. And then like as they're leaving towns and going out and preaching the gospel, that they are in their minds like, we are getting closer. We are getting closer. We are getting closer. And so to me, it's no wonder when they would say uh, the end of days is coming. It's because in their mind, each body they built up, was bringing another community into knowing and into the revelation of who Jesus was, the Messiah. I think that's so cool. So, So we are part of a global movement. So shouldn't we have the motivation to relate to believers no matter where they're from? more than the motivation to cheer for the same sports team, more than to cheer for um, and root for our political party to have our way. And I will confess that I have a difficult time thinking that I'm going to be able to relate to somebody in a distant land, you know, be it Africa, China, or wherever. You know, but maybe me not wanting to think about it is my inability uh, to relate to them reveals the depth of my evangelism or or maybe it reveals the boldness of my faith or lack of boldness in my faith i think it also might be that i've spent too much time relating to the things that don't matter and that's the one that hurts <laughs> like so i think i think i've lost some of you cuz i've been read lots of bible so i'm like i'm trying to want to bring you back in but like think about it like if if I've spent so much time thinking about Iron Man and watching Marvel movies, and that's who I'm relating to and how I'm relating to, or, you know, I've started working in an, a mechanic shop, so I've been thinking about cars, how to fix cars, and how to relate to people fixing cars, that I've not considered and thought about what I have in common with these starving in Ethiopia. Or I have not thought about the suffering of uh, people in uh, Darfur or or, uh, any other places where genocide is happening. You know, or let's talk about China where there is persecution and shutting down of churches that they meet underground. I'm not thinking about what I have in common with them. It's really hard to think about the difficulties of following Jesus when it's real easy here so when's the last time you had a conversation um, it went like this people think I'm weird because I pray or people think I'm weird because I read the Bible or I try to get them to come to church I'm always talking about Jesus I find that my being able, una- unable to relate to others on a global scale reveals how soft of a Christian I really am. In comparison to all the others who are under persecution, I have yet to fully count the cost. I have yet to test my allegiance to God. Next, how can non-Christians have less in common with the believer when we like the same things? So let's say you have a neighbor. You guys get along great. Stay in the driveway, you kick rocks, you talk about what you're gonna do in your and how you're gonna mow your yards differently, or or maybe you help each other, you know, with different projects around the house. You guys have all sorts of stuff in common that uh, he doesn't want anything to do with church or God. And and he doesn't mind talking about spiritual things, but he doesn't want anything to do with God. I had a friend just like that. We were working at Target together. We were, you know, there was like three guys that worked as So we were like surrounded by women managers, and it was, whew, it was interesting sometimes. So, uh, so me and him bonded over being guys first, and then, uh, he introduced me to, uh, mixed martial arts, like jujitsu, and, uh, he was an MMA fighter, and I didn't get that at first, and then he showed me, like, how cool it was, and I'm like, yeah, um, and I'm a total softy, okay, so MMA doesn't fit me at all, okay, so that he got me into it, it's kind of a big deal, you know, but, uh, we liked playing chess, we liked bonfires, and we liked a lot of the same music, right? So we got along really good. So I had him over for a bonfire one night. We're playing chess in my driveway. And and for, I don't know how we got on the topic, but we kept talking about God. And I was like, man, Brian, I see light in you. And he's like, oh, thanks, man. Like he was just always really positive, And I just saw light in his heart. And uh, I'm like, I see light in you, and I don't think God's done with you. And his response was like, Yeah, you know, I grew up going to church, and I just, I just don't want anything to do with that. And so our conversation kind of just fizzled out at that point. You know, it's like, what do you want me to do? Like, hold them to the ground and say, why? <laughs> That's not going to work. Friendship over. Um but our allegiance to Jesus looks vastly different than those who don't have allegiance to Jesus. So those who don't follow, you know, if, if ours, our relationship and allegiance looks like those who don't follow, we have to ask ourselves a really tough question. Am I really faithful to Jesus? Romans 8, 5 through 8 says that this. So for those who identify with their old nature, set their minds on the things of the old nature. But those who identify with the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Having one mind's controlled of the old nature is death. But having one mind's controlled of the Spirit is life and shalom. Pretty big contrast, right? For the mind controlled by the old spirit, the old nature, is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Thus, those who identify with their old nature cannot please God. We have an issue with people who do not associate with God. And we might love them to pieces, but we're definitely not in the same camp. We are to identify with the Spirit. And now tell me, who are you supposed to have more in common with, the believing or non-believing person? If you were to operate in life in shalom, in God's way, versus your old way, which is death, who do you have more in common with as a follower of Jesus? We're over here. I want to look at Romans chapter 7. We're going to go backwards here, starting in verse 11 and 13. So Paul's writing in chapter 7 is sizing up the burden and weight of the law apart from the inspiration and conviction of the Spirit. If I get really loud here, I'm really sorry. This part gets me really pumped. (laughs) So verse 7 through, or 11 through 13 says this, the commandment that was intended to bring me life was found to bring me death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me. I'm going to read that again. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through that commandment, sin killed me. The Torah is holy. The law is holy. That is, the commandment is holy, just and good. Then did something good become for me a source of death? Heaven forbid. That is the Christian way to say heck no. Man, that was not a good joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> Too daddy. Um, Rather, it was sin working death in me through something good, so that sin might be clearly exposed as sin, so that sin through the commandment might come to be experienced as sinful beyond measure. This, this phrasing, sin seizing the opportunity, I found that to be so interesting, and that sin can deceive, and, and through the commandment, sin killed me. Paul is proving the difference between the good written law and the condemning and deceptive nature of sin. So get this. The law is debilitating. But it is debilitating through sin's deception of our hearts. You're like, what are you talking about? How are you so excited about this? Because the design of God's law is just... I just think it's completely radical. (laughs) It's so cool. Um, So if birds of a feather flock together, it really doesn't appear that non-believers have much for believers to stick to. And again, it's not because we don't love them. We don't. It's not because we don't think that if you don't believe in God, that you're you're an awful human being or person. But it's just like, how do we relate to what the what what the Spirit hasn't revealed in your heart, what you haven't been convicted of? Are you going to change and move? No, because the only way that we've come into the knowledge and knowing and repenting is because the movement of the Spirit. In our hearts next question here is why should I care as a Christian that I have less in common with other Christians so uh, another way to put that is why should I care if uh, if I can relate to my buddy who's not a Christian versus you know the person who's across the country who is a Christian why does it matter And uh, it matters because we're guided by the Spirit. Romans 7.14 says this, For we know that the Torah is of the Spirit, but as for me, I am bound to the old nature, sold to sin as a slave. I, I, I think this is so cool that the law is of spirit. And and this word spirit in the Greek is uh, pneumatikos, meaning relating to the spirit realm. Torah, the law is of the spirit realm. And that is an incredible qualifier and is critical for gaining understanding uh, and leveraging the full potential of God's law. We must depend on the context and revelation of God the Father. Martin Luther has this to say about Paul's comments here. It's going to be up there, so you can read along with me. If the law were physical, then it could be satisfied by works. But since it is spiritual, no one can satisfy it unless everything he does springs from the depth of his heart. But no one can give such a heart except the Spirit of God who makes the person be like the law. How many of you woke up one day and you're like, yeah, I don't need to do that anymore? something you've been struggling with, and all of a sudden it's just gone. Yeah, I'm waiting for it, too. <laughs> but it will come, I trust. Um, so that he actually conceives a heartfelt longing for the law, and henceforth does everything, not through fear or coercion. You know what that word means, coercion. I always, like, picture someone standing behind me, like, bending my arm like this and leading me around like it's by force. That's, that's what I see is coercion. So it's not through fear or coercion, but it's from a free heart. Such a law is spiritual since it can only be loved and fulfilled by such a heart and such a spirit. If the spirit is not in the heart, then there remains sin, aversion, and enmity against the law, which is itself good, just, and holy. And so what we just read sets us up to examine Paul, and he is the perfect case study of somebody who thought and understood as someone who could do it by works, right? Paul wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a super Pharisee, and he had confidence in his human ability and observance of the law before he met Jesus, And so it is through the encounter with Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit that he now considers himself a slave. How does that work? I'm awesome. I'm amazing. I met Jesus. I'm awful at everything. In Philippians 3, he says this, we do not pursue we do not put confidence in human qualifications even though i certainly have grounds for putting confidence in such things if anyone else thinks he has grounds for putting confidence in human qualifications i have better grounds you think you're good i'm better you think you done it good i did it better so what changed in paul It's the road to Damascus, right? He got flattened by Jesus on the road. (laughs) His eyes got taken away from him. He could not see. So why should I care as a Christian that I have less in common with other Christians? It is because our only hope is to come from the deliverance and dependence on our Savior, Jesus our hope of having our minds impacted and changed, filled with peace and life is through the revelation of our sin. So let me get this right. Me feeling bad about myself is a good thing. Well, kind of. I mean, if you didn't feel bad about yourself, that means nothing's happening. Right, and so when I was getting all excited about the power of the law and the weight of the law, and the miracle, and the like, how great it is, like that is what I'm thinking of—the ability for it to shake you up, to make it loose, and for you to see, for me to see what needs to be changed in my heart and in my life. It's pretty radical. Well, I've talked a lot, so I'm going to skip down a little bit for you guys. As uh, Christians, we have a lot in common. We really do. And uh, it, it is no matter what side of the globe that we occupy, we are a part of a global movement. We have all the same issue of sin, and we are guided by the Spirit. Today, as I leave you, I want you to consider those you associate with. Where do you put your allegiance and your identity? Realize what you really have in common with them. And now what I'm not saying is go home and unfriend everybody. What I'm not saying is only hang out with Christians. You know, but if you find yourself annoyed at those in your community, that's right here. Because uh, they have a, a strange political stance, they make weird financial decisions, or maybe they root for a St. Louis team. Whatever your pet peeve is, remember that you have more in common because of your faith in Jesus. And so I'm inviting you as birds of a feather Walk out on that branch. Trust that you have more in common with those here with things that are more important infinitely because of your faith. And I want you to hold that in your mind rather than the thing that drives you bonkers. Raise your hand if you think that's going to be hard. So let's be unified in our love of Christ and unified in the expression of his love to one another and to all we are as followers of Jesus birds of a feather let's pray God I thank you for your word I thank you that uh, it not only uh, inspires transformation in our heart God but um that it has the ability to excite and shake us. So God, that uh, whatever I said that is helpful, God, I pray that that would stick. And whatever is not helpful, God, I pray that everybody would forget. And, uh, Lord, I pray that your blessing would go with everybody here, that they would know that they are cherished and loved by you so much, and that they would trust in your voice, in your identity, in the promise of your unity, God, for this world. That you would send us all out to the edge of the world and proclaim your love. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, you're welcome. We've finished early. So, you don't have to hurry back and get your kids if you don't want to. Hang out, hug a dad, high-five it. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. Happy Father's Day. Have a good week.